Well, good morning, and it's a wonderful blessing to be back with you at 4th. So um, I look around and I recognize a lot of faces, but bear with me. Introduce yourself anyway. Um, and those of you who are meeting for the first time, I hope after the service, uh, I'll be outside there uh, with my friend and one of our board members, Kevin Cassidy, just at that table. So please pass by and uh, would love to greet you and uh, would love to give you some information about uh, the ministry there at Central Africa Baptist uh, University. Uh, happy Mother's Day. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful uh, opportunity to, in a special way, just pause and say thank you uh, to the mothers and uh, for how you've shaped our lives. Um, it is my mom's fault that I'm serving the Lord. And um, I learned to love Jesus love the scriptures, and I think the greatest lesson that I learned from my mom was that God could be trusted. When um, my dad was in hospital, uh, in and out of the mental hospitals, and things were difficult, and she didn't have a job, and she had five kids, and as she would just, I'm sure inside she was in turmoil, but Outside, she just led us to trust in God. I remember her bowing her head with us on a Saturday evening. I'll never forget this one. And just said, all right, guys, um, let's pray. And we're going to ask the Lord to provide us groceries for next week. And so, you know, I was probably eight or ten. And we just said, okay. And I was like, yeah. And so we did. And we went to church the next day. She took us all to church. And when we got home, there were bags of groceries by the front door. Well, for an 8 or 10-year-old kid, I was like, God, we were at church and God came <laughs> and gave us groceries. And I was like, yeah, of course, this is what happens. I mean, this is the way God does things, right? I learned that from my mom. And that has served me well for 31 years in Africa. Because that same God who provided for us when I was little has provided for us again and again and again. And I thank God for providing partners like you guys here at 4th. Um, I think the first time I preached here was probably 15 years ago. And been back various times uh, through those years. And in many ways you have partnered with us. I do serve at Central Africa Baptist University uh, in Zambia as the president of the of the, uh, uh, of the university, I also serve as the teaching pastor at Kitwe Church. And I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. What I wish I, what I wish I had like an hour and a half and we could just do the whole chapter, but we don't. All right? So um, we're going to just take the section in verse 34 through verse uh, 39. Matthew chapter 10. As I said, I serve at what we call Kabu in Zambia, and our mission is to prepare gospel workers for Africa by training the next generation of, certain, of servant leaders in Africa for Great Commission Living. As of February 2023, we have 197 graduates from our degree program serving across Africa. All but one of our graduates is faithfully serving the Lord in and through local churches. We have 734 graduates from all of our various uh, programs. Mohammed Ismail is one of those graduates. 
Muhammad was raised in Darfur in a Muslim home. In fact, if you go to Joshua Project uh, website, you'll find that in the top few listed as the least reached areas of the world, Darfur is listed among them. He became a Muslim scholar and eventually, after earning a degree in Sudan, went to South Sudan to the university to study English literature, of all things. And it was there that a missionary gave Muhammad a Bible. Muhammad told me, when I reached out and I took that Bible for the first time, I was literally sick to my stomach. I was nauseated. Because I had been told my whole life that this book was an evil book. It was something to stay away from. It was something never to engage in. That it was full of lies. He began to read the scriptures. And God birthed in the heart of Muhammad saving faith, and he became a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. One afternoon in my office there in Quito, I received a phone call from this missionary up in... A guy I've never actually met. And he said, we got a guy up here who's come to Christ. He is preaching the gospel. He's telling everybody about Jesus, but he doesn't know hardly anything. Would there be a chance that he could come to CABU and, and train for ministry? He's preaching to everyone. I said, yeah, absolutely. And because of the faithfulness of, of churches like Fourth Baptist Church, we gave Muhammad Ismail what we call a 1040 scholarship. Coming from the least reached people groups in the world, a full scholarship to be able to come and train for pastoral ministry at CABU. He graduated in February of 2020 and was sent back to Sudan as a church-planting missionary from Faith Baptist Church of Riverside. This morning, Muhammad is on the run in Sudan because on Saturday, April 15th, war broke out in Khartoum when General Burhan of the Sudanese army attempted to arrest General Dagalo of the RSF, the paramilitary rapid support forces in Sudan. In fact, Dagalo, this general, was the leader of the notorious John Jaweed militia that was implicated for various war crimes in South Darfur. You may remember that back in the 2000s. I tell you that because I want you to understand this morning that we are at war. The battle is spiritual, not physical. The enemy is clever, strong, and opposed to God and his kingdom. The world has always been opposed to God's righteousness. And so the world goes about establishing their own form of righteousness. They're opposed to the decrees of God, to the truths of Scripture. And so they cry with those voices in Luke chapter 19, we will not have this man rule over us. Matthew here in this gospel is writing to the Jewish people 
And his, his whole focus is to prove to them that Jesus is, in fact, their long-awaited Messiah kingdom, King. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For Jesus, Messiah, has come. In fact, this gospel is actually a tale of two kingdoms. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of truth, the kingdom of the lie. The kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of sin. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan. May I remind us this morning that each one of us here are actually a member of one of those two kingdoms. There's no third kingdom. There's no neutral ground. You are either part of the kingdom of righteousness or you are part of the kingdom of sin. Your God is the king of heaven or your God is Satan. Whether you recognize that or not is immaterial. God's enemies and the enemies of God's kingdom are defined throughout the New Testament as the world, the flesh, and the devil. I don't have to convince any of you of that. If you've been a, a Christian for very long, you have battled all three of these enemies. This world system in which we live and serve and minister that, that the, the Apostle John reminds us lies in the arms of the evil one. This world system that is the political arm of Satan, the God of this world. In fact, Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, and I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Just reconcile with that. When war broke out in Khartoum, it was said that there was a concerted, targeted effort against churches and Christians. Only 5% of the people who live in, in Sudan identify as Christian. 91% identify as Muslim. The world system, the flesh, our fallen sinful nature that Paul reminds us must be put to death daily. And of course, Satan or the devil, Lucifer, called the son of the morning, the one who rebelled against the God of heaven. To the Ephesian church, Paul reminded that we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Now I want you to understand what's happening here as we go to our text. The king has come, the Messiah has come, and he is gathering for himself a people called by his name. He has come to preach and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. For this purpose he has come forth. He, he is set, he is resolute. He understands that the path to the kingdom and the path to the throne will lead through the cross. It involves his own suffering and his own death, because without the shedding of blood, there will be no remission of sins. Jesus understands that, and he is resolutely set to proclaim this gospel, this good news that will be purchased by his own death and sealed by his own resurrection. Jesus is, is here in the 10th chapter preparing gospel workers to invade the people groups around the world with the good news that Jesus is the only one who can reconcile them back to God. 
And these disciples, which are listed in the first four verses of chapter 10, are the initial ambassadors that Jesus is pouring his life into, and they are to carry out his mission beginning where they are. For them, it's, it's Israel, the nation of Israel. And we see that in, in verse 5 and 6. That Jesus sent these 12 out and he gave them instructions. And the rest of chapter 10 are those instructions. And then when you come to chapter 11, when, when, in verse 1, when Jesus has finished giving these instructions to his 12, they went out to teach and preach. Jesus is instructing these followers, these Jesus followers, that he is going to commission... Today, in chapter 10, he is commissioning him to go not to the Gentiles, but to the nation of Israel. A few chapters later, in chapter 28, he is going to commission these same men to go into all the world and proclaim this same gospel with the promise that he would be with them until the end. They would go in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ himself. But today, in chapter 10, they're going to begin where they are, in the nation of Israel. And may I suggest to each of you who claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's where ministry begins. Where you are. In your own home. That's why I praise God for a godly mother. My mother has never been a missionary. She, she's visited us a couple of times in Zambia. She worked a job. She worked hard her whole life. She raised five children as a single mom. She's done nothing spectacular. There'll be, never be a book written about her. But she understood that the gospel must advance and it begins where you are. And so she poured her life of faithfulness into her children. Are you doing that? Jesus' follower, are you beginning where you are? Don't pretend to have a burden for the multitudes who live on some distant place on our planet if God has not broken your heart for the people in your own household. The people who live on your street. They began, and Jesus is commissioning them, and he's telling them, he's teaching them, he's instructing them as he sends them out, and he tells them that they're to expect suffering in verse 24 and 25, that God will reveal everything in his time in verse 26 and 27, that they're to fear God alone and not man in verse 28, that God cares for his own in verses 29 through 31, and that God honors those who confess him in verse 32 and 33. And now we come to our text this morning. So what is it going to take to prepare gospel workers, to prepare them in our homes, to prepare them in our local churches, to be prepared as gospel workers? What is it going to take? How far must we be willing to go? And that's where we find ourselves in verse number 34. Jesus instructing his disciples that gospel workers must be willing to forsake everything. Everything for Jesus. Look please, at your, look, at, look at your text, verse 34. Do, do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. It's a terrible message for Mother's Day, isn't it? (laughs) And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Preparing gospel workers. If we're to reach our generation for the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will begin in our homes, gentlemen. Moms. It begins in our home. Preparing gospel workers from the youngest age. And this text helps clarify that for us. Notice the perspective in verse 34 through verse 36. Here's the first instruction. If we're to prepare gospel workers, we must get a realistic perspective. The gospel separates. The gospel divides. Light chases away darkness, and darkness doesn't like that. Notice what he says. Look at verse, look at, look, look at your text. Look at your text. Do you see it? Look at verse 34. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Isaiah 9-7 talks about the Messiah. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who offers you peace with God, Romans 5-1, which results in the peace of God, Philippians 4-17. In fact, if you recall in Luke, the Gospel of of Luke and the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, the birth of Jesus was was accompanied by the beautiful proclamation of the angels, peace on earth, goodwill to men. But Jesus also brings a sword. Notice what it says. I do not think I've come to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against, and a daughter-in-law against. That that word against means a a downward and away motion, as 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 like a, a sword. It means to cut off abruptly. It's a movement of hostility. And it often speaks of complete and permanent separation. You see, Jesus is preparing his disciples that those who submit to him and his righteousness, Jesus will indeed bring shalom. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, Jesus said in John 14. But to those who reject him and his righteous rule, Jesus brings a sword. This realistic perspective of what it means to prepare gospel workers. A realistic perspective. Jesus brings war, not peace. But notice the second thing, verse 35 and 36. This battle will be, a, will be painfully personal. Do you see what he says? I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
I have come to set the kingdom of truth against all false belief systems. And this may at times become intensely personal because your enemies will be those of your own family. The gospel brings disruption and division sometimes to the closest relationships within your circle of family and friends. God the Father did not send His Son to make you happy and healthy. He did not send His Son to give you a good life. He came to make you holy. To prepare you for the kingdom, the eternal kingdom. And this holiness, this set-apartness, will separate you from those who love their sins and those who justify wickedness. I think we are seeing this this dichotomy in in graphic terms in the the ever-changing American culture. But it's nothing new. The same God that declared war on Satan in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15... sent Jesus, who made peace by shedding His blood on the cross so that men could be at peace with God. Through Christ, God reconciles all who repent and believe in Jesus. He reconciles them unto Himself through Christ. The blood of His cross. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are, 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 you, are you at peace with God this morning? Have you made peace with God through His Son? Not only must we get a realistic perspective, but we must establish worthy priorities. Look at verse 37 and 38. Look at verse 37. Look look at your text. Whoever loves father or mother, do you see this next, next phrase? More than me. More than me. Is not worthy of me. And and here this this word shows up several times. He's not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If we are to establish, if we are to train gospel workers in this generation, the second thing that Jesus wants us to understand is that we must evaluate, we must be certain that we have established worthy priorities. You say, how do we do that? Well, well, clearly in verse number 37, being, be worthy by loving the person of Jesus. Be worthy by carrying the name of Jesus. The, the, the word worthy means to weigh something. We used to go down the open market in, in Kitwe. And we'd buy produce. And, and Lori would, I hated going there. Lori, Lori would go do that. I'd drive. And, they, and these guys would have all these, you remember those old scales with little baskets on them? Have you ever seen that? Some of you older people. I don't have many older people here, but you guys that are older, remember that? Right? And, and you slide those little, or the way they did it in Kitwe, they'd have these little weights that they put on there. 
They're like, okay, one kg of peanuts. And they take a weight that they said was a kg, which wasn't, by the way. <laughs> it was only like 750 grams. And they put their one kg weight on one side, and then they load the produce on the other side until it is worthy. Are you with me? That's what Jesus is saying here. If you love your kids or your parents or anybody else more than you love Jesus, you're not worthy. By the way, this weight that, that is spoken here is something that's of inherent value. It's actual value, not attributed value. Oh, that's what we hear about in our culture all the time, right? We attribute value to something, like the U.S. currency. But the gold standard ended long ago, right? For consider, Paul says in Romans, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. There it is. To be compared with the glories that shall be revealed. So, Christian, on your scale, what do you got on this side? I mean, Jesus is here. What's on this side? What do you feel is more worth, of more value, than Jesus? Just a way of saying it, where are your priorities? Because if we're gonna, if we're gonna, if we're gonna train up gospel workers. We got to get this right. You see, those who choose other intimate relationships over Jesus are not worthy. So, what is the object of your affection this morning? You know what Jesus is saying to his disciples? I'm getting ready to send you out as, as, as sheep amongst wolves, I'm getting ready to send you out to do the work of the kingdom. To gather a people for my name. But remember, you don't match up if you love dad and mom more than you love Jesus. You don't match up if you love your kids more than you love Jesus. You don't match up if you love your own life, Jesus is going to say to them in verse 38, more than you love Jesus. It speaks of priorities. And each of these priorities can result in conflict. That's what Paul, that's what Jesus is saying to these disciples. Prioritize Jesus and his kingdom. Prioritize truth and his word. Prioritize obedience and submission to his will. Prioritize the cross over the favor and approval of the culture. So be worthy of loving the person of Jesus, but also notice verse 38, be worthy by carrying the cross of Jesus. Look at verse 38. 
And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. How do we identify Christians? Like, just, like, like okay, so, how many of our hundred of us, right? I'm guessing most of you identify as a Christian. So, so let's take these 400 people, how many of it is, and let's go out into Minneapolis. How do we identify ourselves? Oh, I know. Let's wear a suit. Huh? Maybe that'll identify as a Christian. Or... Some people think, we're a cross. We're a cross. You ever seen those people with their little baby feet on the, their lapel? What are they doing? They're identifying themselves with a good cause, right? Pro, pro-life. We do that sometimes, Christians, don't we? But we don't wear a cross and a necklace to identify ourselves. We don't wear skull caps like the Muslims. We don't wear backward collars like the clergy. We don't wear a red dot like the Hindu. Guess what Jesus gave us? To identify Christians, we suffer. We suffer. We suffer joyfully, courageously, obediently. We love our enemies. We do good to those who mistreat us. We boldly proclaim that Jesus saves and let the chips fall where they may. You see, the cross Jesus speaks of was an instrument of cruelty and death. And taking up the cross is a symbol of abandonment to Jesus Christ regardless of what the cost may be. By the way, the cross, you know, it's not those natural things that happen to all of us in a fallen world. Like, it's not your flooded home or your auto accident or your cancer diagnosis or the loss of a job or the fact that you broke your leg last week. Those are not crosses. The cross is the ridicule, rejection, opposition, persecution, and possible death that you face simply because you publicly identify with Jesus Christ and live in obedience to him. That's the kind of men and women that we are seeking to raise up at CABU. And those are the men and women that must be raised up Fourth Baptist Church. This persecution, opposition, and rejection may come from our family members because of our faith in Jesus. And when it comes, it is the cross that we bear for the sake of his name. We carry the cross, Jesus says. Our lives are guided and submitted to the Holy Scriptures. We pay our taxes. We submit to legal government authority. We are loving, welcoming, kind, and gracious. Only let your manner of life, Paul says in Philippians 1.27, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And yet we are uncompromising when it comes to the gospel. We embrace the spirit of Esther who said in Esther 4.16, if I perish, I perish. 
The spirit of Paul who says, I do not count my life dear unto myself. We hold the faith of Job who said in 1315 of that book, though he slays me, yet I will trust him. You see, beloved, the only way that these disciples and the only way that we as Christians can escape conflict is to not deny Christ and to compromise his witness. And when this happens, we are no longer at war within our homes and with our communities and with those who reject the truth and the light of the gospel. We're no longer at war with them. We, when we compromise that truth, we are then at war with God. This is why Peter said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. Notice verse 39, I'm finished. If we are to prepare gospel workers. We must reject the temporary to gain the eternal. Look at verse 39. Almost done. Look at at verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Two, two thoughts, right? Save your life and you lose it. That's what Jesus said. The culture urges you to live for today, per, to pursue what the world values, its acclaim, its beauty, its passions. The temptation is for you to seek your own way in this life. I mean, we want to live a good life. We want acceptance and pleasure and ease. We don't want war. We desire peace. Parents often want to hold on to their children, keep them nearby. Mom and dad, the greatest thing that you can do as a disciple maker in your home is raise your children with the idea that the greatest thing they can do is abandon themselves to God for his purposes. This life is temporary and it is unsatisfying. Earlier this year, it was actually a Sunday, January the 30th, Miss America 2019. You can Google it. Chelsea Christ. 2019, Miss America. She's a model, TV correspondent, earned a law degree, was a licensed attorney, net worth was over $5 million. She jumped to her death from the 29th floor of her Manhattan apartment. You see, if you love your life, your identity, your reputation and security, you will lose it all. Jesus is instructing these disciples as he prepares to send them out that they must live for what really matters. Save your life and you lose it all. Or, number two, lose your life and you gain it. Matthew 16, whoever would save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We find that the life we really seek by letting go of the life we have. We find joy, peace, fulfillment, and hope for all eternity by pursuing Christ at all costs. Carrying out his mission of gospel proclamation and inviting all men everywhere to submit to the rule of Jesus Christ. He is the king. 
Jesus is telling them in verse 39, lose your life in Christ and you win it all. The very thing that you fear to lose is what you gain when you lose your life in Christ. So what's the point? Prepared gospel workers understand that Jesus Christ came to bring peace to all who believe him in him. Not peace with the world, not peace through negotiation or accommodation, but peace with God through absolute unconditional surrender. And they are willing to identify themselves with Jesus and follow him, and by so doing, they find the fulfilled life. Here's how you should respond. Peace is coming. The Prince of Peace is coming back to set up his kingdom of peace. It's coming. But friend, peace with God is available to you today. And some of you have never made peace with God because you have never thrown yourself in humble consecration at the feet of Jesus and allowed him to bathe you with his blood to forgive you of your sin and to welcome you into the kingdom of heaven. Peace with God means that there is a cessation of hostility. As God's enemy, it means that you lay down your arms and you surrender to him. That's what you should do this morning. Believe in Jesus and experience life. But I know that I'm talking to many who've already done that. And I just remind you that peace is coming, but for now there's division. Let me ask you, Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus, self-professed, Are you all in? Are you living for the kingdom that lasts? You must be. Because that is the level of commitment and sacrifice that is required to take the gospel to the world. It begins in our homes. It flows through our church, and it goes to the ends of the earth. And Father, we pray that the instructions you gave to those disciples all those years ago would be the instructions that we would take to our very heart, that we would believe the truths that Jesus taught, and that we would reorient ourselves, and that Jesus would be the one of greatest value. And that our lives would be worthy of being called followers of him in whose name we pray. Amen.